Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 322. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor for 2017, Certified American Grown Flowers. The Certified American Grown program and label provide a guarantee for designers and consumers on the source of their flowers. Take pride in your flowers and buy with confidence. Ask for Certified American Grown Flowers. To learn more, visit americangrownflowers.org. As many of you know, my journalistic background includes working as a home and garden writer for the past two decades. During that journey, I invested many years, in fact 15, in the Garden Writers Association, including two years serving as its president. Many of my closest professional and personal friendships come from time serving on committees, as regional and national director, and then as an officer and member of GWA's leadership. And even though writing about flower farming and floral design has occupied my professional energy during the past 10 years, I still consider myself a garden writer. After all, flowers are certainly an extension of the garden, right? Today, I'm delighted to introduce two longtime professional friends who I originally met through GWA. They are Susie McCoy and Katie Dubow of Garden Media Group. Based outside Philadelphia, Garden Media Group was one of the very first marketing and communications firms to position itself in the green category. For many years, Garden Media Group has released an annual Garden Trends Report, which has become a must-have reference for writers, practitioners, and companies in the gardening industry. I love reading this report, and to be honest, it has served as a template for my much younger Slow Flowers Floral Insights and Industry Forecast, which I started compiling annually four years ago. Susie and Katie agreed to talk with me about the Garden Trends Report for 2018, and they've shared their graphics, which you can see at the show notes for today's episode 322 at deborahprinzing.com. Here's where you'll also find links to Garden Media Group's social places. I want to share a little bit more about this firm and these two dynamic women. Lovingly called the Queen Bee, Susie is the idea generator, strategic planner, and key buzz maker at Garden Media Group. Well known in garden writing circles, she is active in the Garden Writers Association, a member of the National Gardening Association, American Horticultural Society, Pennsylvania Horticultural Society, and a speaker in the field. It was love at first sight when Susie found her way to the green industry. Little did she know that her first lawn and garden client, the Conard Pyle Company, Star Roses and Plants, would steer her down an extraordinary path. Like everything else she does, Susie has embraced the journey with fearless enthusiasm for adventure, and ultimately, it changed the very face of her business. She hasn't stopped looking back since. Prior to founding Impact in 1987, the agency that eventually became Garden Media Group, Susie worked in both agency and corporate marketing and public relations. Involved in both the business and nonprofit communities, she graduated from the University of South Carolina with a Master's of Journalism, specializing in public relations and advertising. 
Creative Director Katie McCoy-Dubow is part organizer, part problem solver at Garden Media Group. Her business acumen developed early. Employing friends, other seven-year-olds, Katie directed a successful envelope stuffing and stamp licking operation for her mother's public relations firm, the Garden Media Group. Flash forward 25 years, and Katie is continuing the family tradition by introducing her daughters, Quinn and Reese, to the business of horticulture PR. Together, they aim to bring gardening to a new demographic and convince people that brown thumbs can, in fact, be turned green. In her spare time, Katie practices Bikram yoga, mixes a mean cocktail, and, of course, gardens excessively. After my conversation with Susie and Katie, I have a bonus interview with Janet Ensley of the Northwest Flower and Garden Show, another longtime professional friend here in Seattle. Janet is the force behind the new Garden Pro Conference, which takes place on Friday, February 9th, 2018 at the Northwest Flower and Garden Show. I'm participating as a panel moderator during this one-day professional conference, which is fittingly co-located with the West's largest consumer gardening show. And Susie and Katie will be at the Garden Pro Conference as featured speakers discussing what else aligning your business with with today's garden trends. I've invited Janet to share all the Garden Pro Conference details. The new event coincides with the Northwest Lauren Garden Show's 30th anniversary, and I hope to see you there. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I am so excited today to have two of my longtime garden friends on the line to talk about their work. Please meet Susie McCoy, founder and president of Garden Media Group, and Katie Dubow, creative director of Garden Media Group. Hi, ladies. Hello, Deborah. How are you today? We're great. We're hoping technology shines its favorable light on us and we can get through this interview because we're doing it <laughs> long, long distance. Um, well, we were just reminiscing before I uh, started to introduce you uh, that Susie and I have known each other for 16 or 17 years through the Garden Writers Association and your your profession has really gone deep into green. Um, describe what the Garden Media Group is, Susie. Well, we're a public relations and marketing firm that specializes in gardening, obviously, and in um, outdoor living. And we focus on uh, making gardening a, a lifestyle choice for people, not just not just a hobby, but a, a healthy way of living. Mm-hmm. And your clients have really run the gamut of big and small players in horticulture, right? Yep. We've worked with the giants of the industry. We introduced... We named and introduced the Knockout Rose, Endless Summer Hydrangeas. Um, we've worked with the big giants, and we've helped as well as launch some startups, uh, Organic Mechanic Soils, um, Bushel and Berry. Bushel and Berry. We were on the ground floor of uh, with Bushel and Berry, uh, the, the Berry Collection. And um, so it's been a lot of fun. If, if you imagine the spectrum of everything from seed catalogs, all the way through to the furniture you sit in in your garden to enjoy it. We've done everything at, at, in, at both ends and in between. Yeah, I love it. And I think it's it's so lifestyle-driven these days, and, and that's, you know, you're, I guess most of your work is in the consumer media world, but maybe not everything, right? Well, we do work when we're starting with a new company. It's, you know, the, the crawl, walk, run stages of marketing. So in the beginning, we were working pretty much with 
trade influencers and key influencers like you. And then we we roll through to the walk and run stage where we're reaching the final consumer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So our, but, uh, for the most part, our end game is always reaching those people that are going to go into the garden center or go online and search for the products by name. Mm-hmm. And Katie, when did you end up joining the company? It was like five or six years ago, wasn't it? Exactly. Yep. This is my sixth year. Um, and well, I, you know, this is my third iteration with the company. I started when I was about six. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're, Does that you're, make sense? I might not know that Katie's my daughter. So we're a mother-daughter team over here. <laughs> So, Katie, what did you do when you were six years old? Lots of licking stamps and stuffing envelopes. <laughs> You've you know, really... the, the mail press releases out. So uh, that was my first stint. And then second, when I graduated from college, you know, the, the search for a job started here. I, I was lucky enough to be employed by Garden Media for about six months. Um, and then about six years ago, I left New York City and came home to work. I was in public relations there um, and then came home to work side-by-side in the family biz. I love it. That's so great. I actually, I really envy you, too, and, and the, your collaboration. It's, it's, really, it's really changed my life working with you, and I think our whole profession, you know, seeing how Katie's grown up in this business, um, and we're here to talk today about the Garden Trend Report that is a staple in our industry originating with the first report that Garden Media Group issued, which Katie or uh, Susie, you said was in 2001. Um, that's crazy. So, it is so, crazy. Yeah. So you've got this crystal ball, and what inspired you to even do a trend report? Had there really not been anything like this in the gardening world? You know, it was, it's so interesting, Deborah, because being in public relations, trends are, you know, it, that's our bread and butter. Mm-hmm. And we had, um, we were working with the Philadelphia Flower Show as a client. And we went in for a meeting, and I said, so what are the trends we can talk about for next year? And they said, we don't know. So we said, hmm. well, okay, let's look at what we think the trends are going to be for next year. And that's what started it. We sat around the table. We looked at what was happening at the flower show. And we looked at what was happening with our clients and put, started connecting those dots. And then after that, we got serious about garden trends because nobody was doing them. Right. And what we, what we would do to collect the trends is we would look at what was happening throughout the world in other categories, specifically what was happening in the home industry and what was happening in fashion. Because before the Internet, you know, it used to take three years for a trend to move from the home to the garden. Things Mm. move much faster now. But, you know, we had looked to see where where the trends were in Milan with the home industry and where the trends trends were happening in Paris with fashion. And then we also looked at, you know, the gurus like Faith Popcorn and trend watching. And so we would look at different areas and say, okay, how is this going to affect the world of gardening? And then wow. we would take those trends and, and translate them into gardening. And really the same thing um, could relate to the floral industry because fashion and home and lifestyle are uh, yep. certainly affecting florals. So I think you know what you're doing is going to be really relevant for the listeners of this podcast to hear about. For This is your 2018 trend report. You released it about a month ago, right? 
Yes, it released it in July. Oh, oh my gosh. September. Well, we gave a yeah. presentation at an industry trade show called Cultivate, and that was in July, and the trends, we sort of tested it there and um, to see what people resonated with, and then we officially released it, in, yes, in September. Mm, great. Okay, so we're, you're generous, you've generously shared the PDF of this report with me that I can put on our show notes. Uh, for this episode at DebraPrinting.com, and that is a free download that people can get, and then we'll also share all the ways you can connect with Garden Media Group on social media. Uh, so I really thank you for that. Um, but let's just walk through these. You kind of have an overarching um, kind of theme for every year, is that, or was it that just this year that you had, it seemed to present itself as kind of the lead, lead concept? We started probably about... About 10 years ago, we started having overarching themes uh, because it really helped us to wrap our heads around what was happening in the, in, for trends in general and to give people a real focus on what was going on. Mm-hmm. And so we've been talking about gardening as being a part of health and wellness for several years now. And, you know, the physical wellness, the emotional wellness, um, and now we really are looking at um, gardening as well as floral. I mean, floral could be even a, is even a better tie-in of being a real aspect of helping to create mental wellness. And we're seeing. I just heard a report on NPR this week that that this generation of teenagers are the most stressed and anxious group of teenagers um, that people have, that the psychology industry has seen in years mm, or actually wow. has ever seen. Mm-hmm. And so we really wanted to focus on how gardening is a great RX to help you heal your mental wellness and to have a more balanced state of life. And, you know, the, the other thing that we saw was celebrities are starting to talk about their, their mental wellness, and particularly when Prince Harry and Prince William started talking about their emotional state, it, when it took it to that level of celebrity we knew that this was going to be something that people were going to be talking about, not just for this year, but for years to come. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting that, you know, we're, we're, I think we've all struggled in this uh, kind of in the broader mainstream media to, to say, well, gardening is, is frivolous and it's, you know, it's kind of, you know, not, not essential for quality of life. And, um, Sometimes I feel a little apologetic, like, yeah, I just write about flowers, you know, nothing really important. But hearing you talk about this importance of mental wellness and how, you know, being associated with a garden or involved with growing things is is sort of one of the remedies. Well, about uh, more than 10 years ago, we came up with a campaign for Costa Farms called O2PU, House Plants with a Purpose. And originally that purpose was to clean the air of volatile organic compounds and to provide oxygen for us sure. humans. And that has evolved now to not just being, um, you know, one of our favorite expressions is plants are more than just a pretty fla- pretty face. Mm-hmm. And the same thing is true for flowers. They're a lot more than just a pretty face. You know, the, the research on just having a plant in your office or flowers on your desk helps to relieve your stress. It helps you to focus better. It helps you to be more productive. And in hospital settings, I'm sure you know, Deborah, you've done all your research on this. In hospital settings, to have a view of, a, of, the, of nature or of a garden 
or even to have a painting in your hospital room of nature, of flowers, per, people heal faster. So it, it, it's not by coincidence that, that this is, you know, a remedy. It's really what nature is made for. So I love that term, too. It's not mental health. It's, it's wellness. It's a whole holistic term that you've kind of zeroed in on. And under that, then, you have about seven, or I guess exactly seven, um, themes that are emerging for 2018. Do you want to just walk us through those? I know we don't have a ton of time, but I think it's just nice to touch on them and maybe give one example. Well, why not? we're going to kind of skip around on this since we're talking to your floral group. Sure. We're going to talk about some things that we think are probably the most important. We're going to start out with breathing rooms, which I think um, is that's a really important one for for the yeah. floral industry. And this is kind of what you were alluding to with the uh, cost of farms O2 for you collection. That's part of that um, trend, right? Well, it is, it, but it, we're kind of using it as a double entendre. It's a breathing room in terms of breathing in fresh oxygen and cleaning the air imperfections, but it's also clearing your head mm. and, fi- and finding some breathing room away from social media. The 24-7 <laughs> of social media. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. I love yeah, it. Yeah, I think that today, in today's society, last year we, we talked about getting plugged in and that you don't need to unplug to be in nature, that you can be plugged in nature, um, but I think that one of the big problems are this, you know, when we are talking about mental wellness, being constantly connected and worried about what other people think of you, I think that's one of the big reasons why that generation is so stressed. Um, you're being critiqued all the time, and you're, you know, you can see it, it's in public. And so this breathing room concept, like Susie said, is the, the idea of being able to step away, step back from that, and really be able to clear your head. And when you do that, you're in a place that provides you all of these benefits because you're surrounded by nature. And that, you know, that is a, a physical room because you're creating this um, space for yourself with flowers and plants indoors or maybe out, you know, possibly a greenhouse could be a breathing room as well. Um, just something that you can shift your focus. I love it. And really, you could just do it on a windowsill by your, you know, by your dining room or something where you just – Getting up close to plants, even in you know when the weather is not great outside, it's just yes. I love I love the imagery you have on your report too. It's it's they're, they're, it's really really evocative. Well, thank you. And we think that the workplace too is a great place for that. I mean, you know, plants have been shown to help people concentrate, um, and it, they can depends on how many you have. They can reduce exterior noise. So you know, particularly if you have trees outside. So I think that that kind of thing for wherever you whatever space mm. you need it in. Um, mm-hmm. It's really helpful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for the floral industry, Deborah, the, um, the image that we have for breathing room is the hanging pendants. And this would be, an easy, I think, an easy thing for um, florists or floral designers to offer to their clients that would help set them apart from, you know, their competition. I think that's really happening. Um, the photos you have show some really modern-looking uh, hanging plants where the the pots are upside down and they yep. create this, this canopy of, of foliage. Uh, but I continue to hear, uh, from, uh, florists, both studio florists who don't have retail shops and retail florists. And these are in the sort of more progressive people, uh, who realize that plants are hot and house plants 
and plants as tablescapes are incredibly, uh, they were kind of right on par with cut flowers and they're equally important. And um, it's sort of a, from a pure business point of view, it's a great revenue uh, center for a lot of florists great to offer plants. So yeah. To get a big, a big uh, basket, a woven basket that you fill with potted plants still in their containers, top it off with some Spanish moss, You've got a beautiful centerpiece for somebody, a beautiful, you know, get well gift, and it will keep on living, you know, as we know. Living yeah. plants keep on giving. <laughs> it's so funny. I, it's like this succulent craze is not over yet, and I maybe oh. is never going to go away, and that's, that's a good thing for, for those of us in the green industry. And, you know, millennials love succulents, and, you know, that, that's that hot market that everybody wants. Mm-hmm. But they don't, they like succulents, you know, because they're so easy to grow. They're hard to kill, but they also have such you know groovy architecture. Yeah, so, yeah, I love it. Um, okay, so I love the idea of breathing room. What's the next one you want to talk about? Well, in terms of color, uh, we do go back and forth. You know, we garden trends are certainly, I would say, our expertise. But color, we we have years past. I'd let's leave that up to Pantone or leave that up to the experts. <laughs> But if we leave it out, I'll tell you what, the people revolt. And so um, this year, when we looked, you know, across all those industries we mentioned before, fashion and home, we really saw um, purple, 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 purple. And so we decided this year, we're calling it Purple Rain also in honor of Prince. Um, but mm. we're, we, we see that purple is just gonna, gonna be the number one color. So when we're really looking at it, um, Whole Foods did an annual trend report as well, and they were saying that their purple colored foods were flying off the shelf. You know, the, um, purple asparagus, purple cauliflower, not the eggplant, you know, those as well, but really the, the unexpected purple edibles that you don't right. eat all day. Um, and so that kind of blends into, if you go to Trader Joe's, um, you'll see purple corn cereal. And you'll see, you know, you'll start to realize that this trend is really being p- picked up in the, in the food industry. And um, that's what one thing that we love to do is so, show a trend in another industry and then how that can relate to ours. Mm-hmm. And, and so, 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 yeah, so kind of bring us down that path. What, how does that yeah. relate to, to life, lifestyle and wellness? Well, so when you're eating, purple, we've, we decided is the new color of health. And so, you know, in a grocery store, berries are right up front. Berries are not only the most, uh, you know, berries and other purple foods are high in anthocyanins or another fancy word for antioxidants. And so they promote a ton of great things, help fight cancer, anti-aging. They also promote mental strength. Um, but so we love the purple food component, um, and that's something that we thought works great, but also blending edibles and ornamentals together. And mm-hmm. so how can you blend some of your purple flowers with some of your ornamental plants, um, maybe some of your purple ornamental plants? But either way, putting your purple herbs and veggies and blending the ornamental and the edible together um, is not, you know, the edible landscaping is nothing extremely new, the foodscaping, but it's certainly um, a trend that we had to mention. So, you know, for your for your industry, Deborah, putting together a bouquet that's monochromatic but all different varieties of flowers that are purple. So you've got different shades yeah. of purple and different textures would just be so dramatic. And well, I yeah, I think about I'm looking at your list of 11 purple foods to grow at home, and a lot of these are being used in floral arranging 
on the stem. You know, berries oh, on the yeah. stem are so hot right now, and you, you're right in the middle of that with saying, yeah, we eat them, but we want to see them used uh, artistically as well in a floral arrangement. Yeah, Butcherland Berry, years ago, was the first time we had a did a little media tour, and they did floral arrangements with berries in the in the bouquets. And I thought, you know, why didn't I think of that? What a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that's because we, you know, even, you know, florists have anecdotally said to me, it's like whenever I put an edible, a, a fruit or a berry or something like uh, on the branch, in an arrangement, it just evokes such curiosity and such engagement with the recipient um, because there is that kind of evocative, visceral response to food, and I, that's what you're tapping into with this purple rain. Um, and, you know, cool. herbs, herbs provide the same type of um, curiosity. The yeah. Flowers, flowers from herbs, seed pods, you know, I think that anything that is edible to move that into an arrangement is... Um, going to be help you stand apart i love it i love it and uh you know there is sort of this tension like well i want to use my blueberry shrubs for eating not for floral arranging but i think the answer is just grow more blueberries and then you'll have enough for your floral arrangement <laughs> well bush and berry would like that answer too <laughs> you know not just the berries of the of the blueberry bushes but the foliage is so beautiful yeah. And you, oh, I you know. Have beautiful little flowers in the spring, and then berries in the summer, and then beautiful leaves changing, you know, to burgundy and wine, and in the fall. That's great. I did not know that. Did Pantone already announce their 2018? Because you're citing verdure, and I don't, I don't know about that. So they came out with a. I think they're now covering all their bases. So they came out with a pre. Um, it w- this was back in July, so they came out with 2018, I would say maybe 10 different palettes mm. for 2018. They but, have not come out with the one color yet. But this verdure is kind of the vegetable-inspired yes. uh, purple hues. Yes, that they that is one of their 10 hues that they decided were going to also be hot in 2018. So oh. they're all vegetable-inspired colors. But, you know, um, they did pick a lot of them. I love it. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What um what other kind of garden media group uh sort of get your crystal ball out? What other sort of emerging trends do you see as, you know, worth discussing today? I know we, we don't have time to do all of them, but Yeah. Well, one another one of our favorite ones is called Wabi Sabi. And mm. Um, this is the new Huga. So, you know, I don't know when, when I've given this talk, there are half the audience knows what Huga is and half doesn't. But, uh, <laughs> I knew, I don't know how to pronounce it. Now I do hearing you say it. <laughs> yeah, well, it took me a while. I kept saying Higgy, Higgy. Um, but yeah, Huga, you know, Swedish that IKEA probably made, made so popular. But, uh, Wabi Sabi is the new Huga. Huga is kind of on the downward spiral, but it's still the same concept of, um, you know, that's really just about relaxing, not having much, just being with friends and taking, um, enjoying the practice of being with each other. Whereas wabi-sabi is the, uh, it's an ancient Japanese practice of the ability to age gracefully. Mm. And uh, we've been seeing it a lot as, as it relates to nature. And that nature is the original wabi-sabi because of the way that, you know, that nature ages, there's many different stages in a plant or a tree as it gets older, and it becomes more beautiful. Um, and, of course, the Japanese appreciate that in people as well. Which in our culture, I don't know if I could say it's so true, um, 
Yeah. So apply that, that concept of aging gracefully to the garden and what we're really seeing it as imperfect gardening um, or imperfect design. And so we broke it down into three, three different categories, design, uh, whether that be interior or exterior, in the actual garden or in your lawn because um, I, we really do see and believe that gone are the days of everyone in America needing and wanting that perfect lawn. Uh, we think people are understanding that um, maybe having some meadow or letting your grass grow or replacing your grass with a rainscaped garden is really something that, that is not only acceptable in communities, but communities are paying people to do such things. So that imperfect idea is something that we really are, um, you know, we're seeing is going to be on the, tre- on the rise even greater. It's so interesting that you bring this up about the imperfect, because I know you're talking about um, maybe some more organic practices in gardening where I just had this conversation with some flower farmers who said if they have run up against the resistance of um, organically grown cut flowers because florists are afraid the flowers will have bugs on them. And it was sort of became this amusing conversation like, well, if there's bugs on them, that means that no synthetic chemicals were probably used, so that's organic, so that's a good thing. But, like, it's sort of a, a, a mind shift to get people to go along with a bug bite in a, in a leaf or something like that, right? It is. I put in an all-native garden in our little – we have a little house in Florida, and I wanted only native plants, and I did not want a sprinkler system. And, mm. and you know, when you, when you get what you want, you have to remind yourself – what the purpose was, which was <laughs> you know, to attract butter, caterpillars, butterflies, and birds. And several of our, we have these Sinti plants, which are native, they look like cardboard plants. And hmm. um, several of them were defoliated because I had so many rare Atala caterpillars. Hmm. I had one of the largest colonies in central Florida. Well, <laughs> you know, that was my purpose. But when I looked at my plants, I'm thinking, and I'm in the business, so I can imagine someone that's not in the business seeing, you know, petals with holes in them. But it's, you're right, it's a mind shift. And it's also not just a shift in, in an organic way of gardening and raising flowers, but it's also a shift in how you arrange your flowers mm-hmm. so, that, so that the arrangements are looser and wilder and freer instead of you know, having the typical Tortured. triangles, triangles <laughs> yeah. in a range. <laughs> yeah. Well, I noticed that you have uh, one of your recommendations or findings is, is this beauty in imperfect imperfection. And that's I love some of the suggestions that you have in this page about not deadheading and allowing plants to, like, produce seed pods during the winter for wildlife. And, um, you know, seeing beauty in that, even though in the past we'd want this perfectly groomed, you know, border that didn't have seed heads. So I love that. Well, you know, using seed heads, I was just planting allium bulbs this weekend, and I found some, and I don't cut those. Not, I mean, I cut some of them for arrangements. Right. I found some seed heads. I found a stem with an allium seed head in my garden, and they're just beautiful. And I don't know if you remember in Buffalo, that, that really wild garden we went to, Yep. And he, he had sprayed it out in different psychedelic colors. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love you know, that. Yeah, I mean, you could take, you know, dead seed head stems, 
and and I don't know, spray painting would be the way to yeah. go. Well, there's the um, thing going around right now, Facebook called the Lazy Gardener Pledge. Have you seen that, Deborah? No, no, I haven't. It sounds perfect it's, though. Um, the Nature Conservancy and Cornell Ornithology got together, and they're asking people to take this pledge. I'll get it to you so you can share it with your listeners. But pledge to be a lazy gardener. But basically, the concept is, um, you know, your fall. You don't do any fall garden cleanup. You just leave it all. Hmm. And so it's better for, you know, the birds and the bees and yeah. the critters who will make habitats and, you yeah. know, anybody. Music to people's ears. You know what I was thinking? I was also thinking, Susie, when you're talking about the seed heads, there's this total renaissance going on, which I had in my industry forecast a couple of years ago, and that is um, the return to everlastings and dried flowers. And you probably yeah. are seeing that, too. Like, remember back in the 70s, like, we were all doing these craft projects with cornucopia baskets, and now it's... Oh, it's broad hydrangea wreaths. <laughs> yeah. Now it's gotten a little more sophisticated, and I think this idea of seasonality is more acceptable in North America, where we don't have, um, you know, we, we don't have benign growing climates all across the country. So what do you do when there's snow on the ground? Well, if you've harvested all or collected all your flowers and seed heads that can be dried, you can still design with them and yeah, it's, right. it, doesn't, it doesn't look dated. It looks fresh. Right. Cool. Yep. And to, I, add I, those, to add those into a fresh arrangement just add, gives it a little more texture and a little more interest. That's a really good point, mixing fresh and dried. I forgot, yeah. I forgot to bring that up. I love that. Um, okay, I know we don't have a ton of time left. Do you have one more that you want to kind of draw our attention to? Well, my personal favorite trend is called the social network of plants. And um, this is one that as we discovered it, we kept reading more and more about the, uh, the concept of garden plants evolving as a social network and huh. um, how they communicate with each other just like, you know, we do on maybe they bully less, but maybe not. Um, <laughs> and this was something that we first, uh, Thomas Rainier, who's a landscape architect in the D.C. area, first brought this term to our attention when he was quoted in the New York Times saying that garden plants evolve from diverse social networks. But the concept here is just how plants benefit from, you know, planting them in the right place at the right time and really how they communicate with each other. Some may provide, you know, shade for the others. Some may have lesser roots um, and really how the concept of, you know, going back to our mental wellness, the concept of um, instead of maintenance, it's, Instead of management, it's maintenance, and hmm. not as much work. Instead of maintenance, management. Instead of instead of <laughs> you're not you're man managing your garden instead of maintaining it. Yeah, I, I was all you. <laughs> it's not as much work. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's also using. I love the term green mulch. So instead of putting down shredded bark, you put down ajuga, or you put down sedge. Sedge. And you use plants as your ground cover mulch. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And once that's grown in, you're you're done. I I um, planted uh, drop seed prairie grass, and you know it's just it's very floppy, it's very wabi sabi, but it just you know it covers my my front garden, and it's the bulbs come up in the spring, and other things come up you know when the grass is cut. I have other things that are happening, but by this time of year, it's just golden and green, and, you know, the muley grass is hot pink, and it's just beautiful. 
beautiful. Well, I think this integrated integration of, of plants that have a social network is such an interesting concept that I do think applies a lot to flower farming because uh, there are fewer, from what I've heard from flower farmers, there are fewer diseases and pest issues when you have a diverse cut flower farm versus a monoculture cut flower farm. So I feel like that maybe this trend is reflecting that sort of notion as well. That's a great connection, Deborah. And, you know, that's what um, in, in the landscape, when you layer your landscape and let the landscape live its nature intended, then it's going to take care of itself in a healthy biosystem. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. the same thing is true in a, in a field of flowers. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Well, one of the reasons I wanted to invite you on to talk about this is I know you're going to be presenting at the Garden Pro Conference in Seattle um, in February, and I'm really – is this sort of a, a a mini version of what you'll be presenting there, or what what's your um, – yeah, we'll be doing it a full hour, so we'll be able to cover all of the trends in depth. And um, this mother-daughter team likes to present together, and so I'll do the presentation, and then Susie walks around the audience, and we like to really get a lot of engagement from the audience. Oh, my and, gosh. And Fun. get people's, you know, take on it, how they're seeing it in their own professions, or, you know, what they're exactly what they do. And so it really ends up being a big conversation, more, of a, more than a presentation. Well, that uh, is going to be on February 9th, at, co- co-located with the Northwest Flower and Garden Show. So I'll be there, too, and I'll make sure that Great. I put info about the conference uh, at our show notes. In fact, Janet Inslee and I just taped a little intro so she could talk about some of the highlights because I knew I was going to have you on. So we'll have a whole episode trying to get people excited about this. It's really geared for people who want a little bit more extensive professional development. Obviously, the flower show is super inspiring. But this is more, you know, for practitioners as well, um, who who can get on trend with what's happening in their industry, and their from writing yeah. to horticulture to uh, to landscaping. So I'm really glad you're going to be out. Have you never been to the Seattle Northwest Flower Garden Show? Have you? We have never been to the. No, mm-mm. we're really That's, excited about coming. Oh my gosh, and that's going to be fabulous. I think, this is a, I think it's a great idea to add this professional track for the show. Yeah, it's. Kind, it's kind of like I said to Janet, it's always, I always treat it as my annual meeting, you know, informally, but now this, she's formalizing it to be a professional meeting. So that's exciting. So I'm really excited that, Deborah, that you asked us to talk about our trends. We, um, we love doing them, and we found that if, you know, if someone in a business can just take one or two of these trends and put them into practice, it will help them stay, you know, stay ahead of the curve and stay ahead of their competition. Absolutely, and I've seen how well this has been for your business. I mean, just to talk about practicalities, like you're putting a lot of information out to share basically for free with people, and now the media is picking up. Uh, Garden Media Group is sort of the the leading opinion, you know, the opinion leader in what's happening in the green industry, and you're getting quoted in all kinds of publications and um, and media outlets because you're doing the, the legwork to to get your crystal ball out and kind of see where the industry is going. And I congratulate you for that. Well, I'm glad you appreciate it. We, you know, we've already started not officially working on 2019 trends, but we really, they take a lot of work to, to get yeah. these done. Yeah. Well, I 
I was going to ask you when you got when you start. So you've revealed that it's it's sort of it's probably on your mind all the time, and you just have a, a folder exactly. where you're putting ideas in. Yeah. And oh, that's decide. great. 2018 is over. Let's start putting that in the 2019 folder. Yeah, we have a trend. <laughs> we have a trend wall in the office where when you see something, you tape it to the wall, and then we start whittling things down. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Well, in a, in a small way, um, the industry forecast that I do for Slow Flowers is inspired by garden trends because I, I didn't really um, have any idea that people were looking for sort of the forecast. And um, this is I've done it for three years, and now 2018 will be my fourth. I'm way behind you, though. I haven't even finished it yet. But um, but we, I'll be sure to share it with you because maybe there's it'll be really fun if Good. we start seeing some overlap in what you know what we consider to be um, important for people in the green industries, and that includes horticulture and floriculture. Yep, you're right. You know, the more that we can work together to broadcast what's happening in either industry, the better it's going to be for us both. Absolutely, and there's so much crossover professionally for people, and I think that's the that's the one thing I'm seeing is that there are growers who are getting closer to design and wanting to embrace design. And there are florists who are adding little patches of cutting gardens because they want to grow. And there's this sort of convergence happening that is good for everybody. So, and for the and and ultimate thing, consumer. One thing I'm going to be curious to see on the gardening side are the people with vegetable gardens that are going to be transforming those into cut flower gardens. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that will be in your 2019 report. Yeah, because <laughs> people are discovering, you know, I, I love having fresh vegetables out of my own garden, but holy moly, it's hard work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I went a little, I went, well, and that's the thing. I have to just say, after the pendulum swung so far toward vegetables, after 9-11 or after, you know, it happened many times after the economic downturn in 2008, right. it like, sort of became considered frivolous to grow flowers, and the only way... In my opinion, the only way we got flowers back is to kind of beat the pollinator drum and say, look, you have to have flowers in your vegetable yeah. gardens. And that sort of was the safe way to have flowers. So hmm. um, anyway, that's, hopefully it's more than that now. It's more that people really want to have this, this breathing room concept that you've identified where they just want to live with beautiful, you know, beautiful plants. And so flowers oh, and yeah. plants. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, thank you so much for for joining me today. Yes, thank you, Deborah. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Maybe you'll start a podcast, a Garden Trends media, you know, <laughs> Garden Trends podcast. <laughs> In your spare time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. All right. Well, great. Thanks so much, and I'll see you yeah, in February. It's been a pleasure. It's always nice to talk to an old friend. I love it. Oh no, don't say old. Say a long time. <laughs> a long time friend. Okay. Thanks, Susie. <laughs> Thanks, Katie. Bye, I appreciate it. Bye. 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 I'm so excited to have my friend Janet Inslee here for a bonus interview as part of this episode. Janet is the man, well, she's got many hats. Janet, why don't you tell us what your hats are? <laughs> I, I do have many hats. Since 2005, I've been the seminar manager at the Northwest Flower and Garden Show. And then long about 2009, I became the judging manager. So all of our show gardens are juried. And um, so I managed that process. And then just this year, I became the conference manager for our new garden program 
Conference. Oh, that's great. You've been such a good friend to me and so many in, in the garden writing and speaking profession. It's and, easy to do. Well, it's been fun. And this new project, Garden Pro, um, I'm peripherally involved in because I'm going to moderate one of the panels. But um, because we have Susie uh, McCoy and Katie Dubow on the episode today, I thought, well, why this perfect opportunity to have you talk about Garden Pro because uh, they're going to also be presenting at the Garden Pro Conference. So uh, what what's behind, when does it happen and what's the concept? Well, this is something I've actually really wanted to do for a great many years. So many people come to the show, they, they bring their A-game, they, they do fabulous seminars, they put in gorgeous gardens. Um, they just, they really make the show the success that it is. And I've always wanted to give back to them because I've often heard people lamenting that why can't we get continuing education? Why can't we travel and see gardens and get lectures to to help us develop professionally? Mm-hmm. So I've always wanted to do it. And mm-hmm. my boss and I, Jeff Swenson and I, and I were just talking about it and then one day he just said, "Why don't we do our own conference?" And that's how it originated. Um it is the first in the nation of a conference that is opening the doors to all areas of the gardening profession. We've got our garden bloggers and writers, book authors. We've got the landscapers and designers, landscape architects. We've got horticulturists, nursery owners. It's 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 good for everybody. It's already been pre-approved um, for many different continuing education credits, including APLD. So people will be able to come to the show. You get two tickets as part of your registration. Enjoy the show, spend a whole day networking with their peers, and pick up valuable CEU credits at the same time. And we top it all off with a really great party at the end of the day, of course. Well, I I think it's really exciting because I know I've always said that the Northwest Flower and Garden Show, which almost always takes place in February, I can't think of any time when it was any other month, um, I've always said it's like my annual meeting. And I feel like that's where people hook up, they connect, they exchange ideas, they get inspiration. But it's all of that's happening kind of casually and informally. And you're absolutely you're giving it structure now uh, with the Garden Pro Conference, uh, right? I mean, it's right. a dedicated well, it, day. It's often been said, uh, I know my friend Lucy Hardiman says this often, uh, it's a gathering of the tribe. It's the <laughs> annual tribal gathering. And that's very true. But within the whole gardening profession, there are many different tribes, as as should be. Yeah. Because you've got the landscapers, you've got the designers, and you've got the writers. And they go off and, and they have wonderful experiences when they go to their own conferences mm-hmm. related to their own niche in the profession. Mm-hmm. But this is a conference that brings them together. So you might find yourself in a conversation where somebody's talking about some new innovations they're doing with some garden design, and you're a writer, mm-hmm. and suddenly you've got a story idea. Right, right. And conversely, you're sharing a new project you're doing, and somebody wants to write about that project, and the designer now has an opportunity to get a little exposure from that. Right. I've had many people who are very successful at being in magazines and such say, it's a lot of work to make the connections to get my work known, right? To get it out there, it didn't. It didn't happen overnight. Nobody just discovers you by osmosis, right? It takes it takes the connections, and this is a day where everybody can connect with other people within the industry, but in a different niche within the industry. Okay, so the the Northwest Flower and Garden Show dates this year are February seventh through eleventh right. of two thousand eighteen. Mm-hmm. When does the Garden Pro Conference fall? And like, how have you aligned that with this big giant consumer garden show? It's right smack in the middle. Okay. It's Friday, February 9th. Okay, so people can come and spend a couple of days at the show, Wednesday, Thursday. 
go to the conference Friday, then head home, or they can come go to the conference and then spend the weekend at the show, whatever works best for their schedule. Um, so we did put it right in the middle for the, for the ease and convenience for everybody doing the show um, yeah. and coming in from elsewhere. But they're co-located at the Washington State Convention Center in downtown Seattle, yeah, right? That's the ease of it. They are absolutely co-located. We have the seminar rooms, which you're quite familiar with. There are three floors directly below that main seminar room, and those are the floors where the conference will be. So people can just access the conference. The registered attendees can go up and down and, um, and go back to the show to grab some lunch. Um, in between the sessions. Um, would you describe a little bit about how the day is structured and um, you know what kind of options people have who might want to attend? Sure. We start with a, a wonderful keynote speech by Timothy Walker. He's one of our 2018 show judges. He's the former director, recently retired, of the Oxford Botanic Garden um, in Oxford, wow. England. Wow. He was here in 2006. And... There were so many rave reviews about one of his presentations. I'm giving him an encore performance oh, on lovely. that. I, it will be deeply moving. It's called The Healing Power of Plants. Wow. Then we break into our concurrent sessions. Each concurrent session is comprised of three different choices. So they're nicely balanced between somebody who might have a strong writing interest or somebody who might have more of a design interest or a landscaping interest. But there's a lot of crossover in there. There's a, there's a lot of content where usually a designer would not, for example, get a seminar that relates to copyright protection. But designers are concerned about protecting their work and their Mm -hmm. intellectual property. Mm -hmm. So we have got in one of our breakouts an attorney from Seattle who specializes solely in that. That's something that you don't often see at a conference where designers go to. The garden writers usually get that. Right, but that's smart. And so there's there's an awful lot of crossover in the topics. If you really look through them, um, people will have an opportunity to choose things that they don't usually get at their own professional conferences. So we've got a great new talk on a new garden ethic with Benjamin Voigt. He's got a new new book out by that. Um, as you mentioned, Susie McCoy and Katie Dubow are also going to be talking about aligning your business with today's garden trends. I'm very excited to have them out to the show for the first time. That's awesome. Um, Mary-Kate Mackey, the indomitable Mary-Kate, is going to be moderating a great, a great panel discussion on Pitch Perfect, polishing your writing craft to sell your ideas. That's another thing that landscapers and designers might actually be really Absolutely. interested in. That's not just for the writers. That's not just for yeah. the writers. They, they may decide, hey, if I write my proposals better, maybe, maybe a potential client will be more inclined to accept it. Um, Deborah Gunther, who is a local Seattle landscape architect with Mithun, she's also a 2018 show judge. She's going to be talking about creating a sites certified garden. That's mm. that is the the label that they put on when you design a garden that meets a, a very high level of sustainability. Right, right. And so that would be of interest to, to both writers and designers because writers might want to know more about what that takes. Absolutely, and write an article on it. Um, at social Outreach, you will be moderating a great talk on social outreach with Chris Sabaresa from Corona Tools, Katie Elzer-Peters, who the Garden of Words, and Stephanie Rose, who is a blogger with GardenTherapy.ca. I'm looking forward to um, that. Those, those are very high-caliber people that have really excelled in the area of social media, and it's mostly on creating your strategy for increasing and engaging social media. So it, it takes you beyond the, well, you should be on Facebook, and talks about how you can develop a plan that you can then follow for your social media. Yeah. What it is you want to accomplish, who is it, your targets, who do you want to reach, how do you go about that? So that should be very enlightening. Yeah. Do you feel like um, the 
this is, uh, there's something for both the, uh, maybe the person exploring these professions as well as the seasoned veterans and that people can kind of plug in, uh, at their personal level of interest, but it's not just only for beginners and it's not going to be over people's heads. I mean, there's going to be sort of a, a dialogue it's, going it's on. It's a very broad range. Okay. Absolutely. This would be great for beginners. There's a lot of content in here that will help them because very often, and I just recently saw this on a um, Facebook thread. Um, most of the people learning the, the landscape architecture or landscape design these days are not getting any clues as to how they actually run their business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So and, and here they are starting out on what is basically a, a, an entrepreneurship, a new business, and they may be clueless on all of these mm. things. It would be uh, very helpful. I'm just thinking about a young, a young friend of my son's who's in landscape architecture school at San Luis Obispo, just thinking, gosh, I should try to get him to come up. This, what a great exposure it would be for a student who's just about to, to enter the profession. So, Absolutely. So what is the, um, how, are, how uh, are you pricing this? And we'll have all the schedule and show no, um, links and all on our show notes so great. people can follow up on this. And register now before the end of the year so you can get your tax write-off, right? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> So, Why not? Yeah. So uh, just mention briefly how what the costs are and that sort well, you, of thing. Well, you go to seattlegardenpro.com so you can read the entire lineup and the biographies of all the presenters and, and the details of each seminar. We priced it at what we think is a very competitive $225. That's all inclusive. That's two tickets to the Northwest Flower and Garden Show, which would cost you $48 right. at the door. Right. That includes the party. That includes two coffee breaks. And if you want to go upstairs, we wanted to keep it priced low so we didn't offer lunch. People can go upstairs, and with their wristband, they get 10% off anything upstairs at the garden show Mm -hmm. that they can get. And we have beer and wine up there and a really great selection of all kinds of great foods. Oh, that's so great. So we we, we think it boils down to basically... 28 bucks per item. You get your chance of, you get to choose from nine different breakout sessions, plus two keynoters, plus the coffee breaks and the party for all that networking. So oh. we think it's really very competitive. I'm excited. Price. I'm excited about it. I think it'll be really great. And um, for people in the floral industry, I think that we are. I was seeing so many people kind of transition into horticulture and uh, all sorts of design, including exterior design, that uh, I hope some of my floral peeps show up and uh, join us, that too. That would be great, yeah. because that you can pick and choose, and there may be some things that, that will really help them as business people right. to they, grow their business. They relate to creatives in business, so yeah. that would totally translate. It, what it all boils down to is for 30 years, the Northwest Flower and Garden Show really has been in the business of supporting the entire gardening industry. And this is just one thing more. We really felt aligned with our mission to do that. And it was just the right right thing to do. And we hope it's the right time to do it. It's our 30th anniversary. We hope this is very successful because we actually, really, this is not a one-off. We really intend to, to take this conference for the long haul and grow it into something really big yeah. um, that's very important and valued for the for the gardening community. I think it's great. And congratulations for just to you and Jeff for launching it. And I'm excited to be part of it. So thanks for kind of giving people a little sneak peek of what that is. Sure. And as I said, all the, all the details will be at our show notes for this episode at deborahprinzing.com and um, Janet has a lot of activity on social media so I'll put her social places on that okay, too. Okay, great. Thanks.
Thanks so much for joining us today. Be sure to visit DebraPrinzing.com to see slides of some of the key trends that Susie and Katie discuss and to find a link to download their entire PDF of their report. You can also find links and more details about the Garden Pro Conference with two inspiring keynote speakers and a lineup of industry leaders for concurrent sessions. The Garden Pro Conference offers a wide range of topics targeting garden professionals' interests. As I said, I'll be moderating a panel. It's called Social Outreach, Crafting a Strategy for Increasing and Engaging Social Media Followers. You'll find more about the panelists and their bios in today's show notes. After spending a day focused on enhancing our personal and professional development, we'll wrap it all up with an evening reception of wine and hors d'oeuvres and serious networking. That's just how I like to end any day of learning. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 250,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you to each one of you for downloading, listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. If you value the content you receive each week, I invite you to show your thanks and support the Slow Flowers podcast with a donation. The button can be found on our homepage in the right column. Your contributions will help make it possible to transcribe future episodes of the podcast. Thank you to our family of sponsors, Arctic Alaska Peonies, a cooperative of 50 family farms in the heart of Alaska, providing high-quality, American-grown peony flowers during the months of July and August. Visit them today at arcticalaskapeonies.com. The Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, a farmer-owned cooperative committed to providing the very best the Pacific Northwest has to offer in cut flowers, foliage, and plants. The Growers Market's mission is to foster a vibrant marketplace that sustains local flower farms and provides top quality products and services to the local floral industry. Find them at seattlewholesalegrowersmarket.com. Longfield Gardens provides home gardeners with high quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season, from tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Visit them at lfgardens.com. Syndicate Sales, an American manufacturer of vases and accessories for the professional florist. Look for the American flag icon to find Syndicate's USA-made products and join the Syndicate Stars loyalty program at syndicatesales.com. Johnny's Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds supplied to farms large and small, and even backyard cutting gardens like mine. Check them out at johnnysseeds.com. The Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers, formed in 1988, ASCFG, was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high-quality floral material, and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ASCFG.org. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers Podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging on to iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at kinetictreefitness.com. Music.